0: Hi, and welcome to SpyCast from the Secret Files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, SpyCast brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about SpyCast, or if you want to suggest someone who might be a good future guest, email us at spycast@spymuseum.org. at That's spycast@spymuseum.org. at also, if you like what you hear, and even if you don't, please take a minute and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you might be listening. We're always looking for ways to make SpyCast better, and you can help. So we're joined today by Dr. Steven Reaver, who's a program manager at IARPA, the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, where he leads the CREATE program, which is developing methods to improve the reasoning and analytic products. Before joining IARPA, Dr. Reber worked at ODNI's Analytic Integrity and Standards Group, where he led efforts to improve analytic tools, training, and metrics. At AIS, he launched the Intelligence Community Prediction Market, developed Analysis 101, the intelligence community's first joint training course for new analysts, and led the development of a standardization test for critical thinking in intelligence analysis. Dr. Reber received his PhD in philosophy from Princeton University, which proves you can get a good job with about any degree. (laughs) And he was a professor at George State University before coming to the intelligence community, where he served as a scholar in residence at CIA's Kent School for Intelligence Analysis prior to joining ODNI. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us here at SpyCast. Thanks, Vince. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm interested to see, I mean, you're a professor, you have a PhD in philosophy. What brought you to the IC? And that seemed to be a kind of a mid-career transfer of something relatively straightforward. It started academia to a job at the highest levels, the ODNI of the intelligence community?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking the question. Um, As you said, I I was a a professor of philosophy at Georgia State University uh, for nine years when I abruptly decided to make a career change. And what led me to do that, although I was very happy teaching philosophy and I imagined that I would continue doing it until my retirement, uh, one day I changed my mind. And that day was, as you might guess, nine uh, eleven. Uh, I remember saying to a friend with whom I spoke that evening, uh, I think I'm going to join the CIA. So uh, that was my goal. Uh, it took some time because uh, the intelligence services, uh, the intelligence agencies in this country don't generally seek out philosophers <laughs> for employment. So I had to make a case for why they should hire me. My first job uh, was as a uh, visiting scholar, a scholar in residence at the Kent Center for Analytic Tradecraft, which is part of it was part of the Kent School of CIA uh, and there I uh, introduced uh, CIA analysts and I see intelligence community analysts more broadly to new analytic methods, new ways of thinking uh, with the, the goal that I retain to this day of trying to improve analysis in intelligence
0: was it analysis is not new I mean analysis of intelligence information's been going on for centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and basically, we've been doing it the same way that whole time. I think mean, that the, the misperception of the public about analysts is that they kind of just smart people that think around and mm-hmm. sit around and think about stuff and try to figure out what it all means. I mean, certainly that is what it is in the most basic sense. But how how have you come in and kind of rock the boat? How How have analytic arguments been basically the same? since the formation of the CIA? Why, why do we need to do something and change them?
2: That? Yeah, that's a great question, sort of a two-part question. Uh, why uh, is change needed, and what changes have been affected? Uh, so on the first part, why is change needed? Uh, I think we a good illustration, actually, is a recent major intelligence failure, uh, which was uh, the Iraq uh, weapons of mass destruction estimate that the intelligence community made in 2002, Uh, the commission that was established to look into this intelligence failure uh, said that it was primarily a failure of analysis, that it wasn't so much uh, an inability to acquire the information, collection as we call it in intelligence, but rather putting together the implications of the information that was collected. Uh, So a quote from the uh, WMD Commission, Weapons of Mass Destruction uh, Commission, is that Uh, the intelligence community uh, reached the mistaken conclusions that it did about particularly Iraq's uh, alleged nuclear weapons program because of, quote, it was trying to fit the evidence to the prevailing assumptions. Now, in making that accusation, (laughs) that criticism, uh, I'm sure that the WMD commission was not presuming that the IC is unique in this respect cognitive psychologists for the last 30 or 40 years have been finding ways in which human beings, including highly educated, highly sophisticated human beings, tend to make systematic errors in reasoning. So reasoning can be improved. And the WMD uh, failure uh, is evidence that it needs to be improved.
0: Well, hasn't understanding cognitive biases been foundational to intelligence analysis going back decades? I mean, we know we mirror image as human beings. We know we have confirmation bias as human beings. We know we anchor. All these are cognitive biases that analysts are aware of and haven't they, haven't, been, been, haven't they been taught, Jesus, for decades how to get around those, how to identify those and make them to where they don't affect their work.
2: That's a great question, and the, and the short answer is yes. Analysts at many of the agencies are taught about the, uh, the scientific evidence on cognitive biases and how we need to try to combat them internally. They're also given uh, structured analytic techniques, methods, and tools to help the analysts counter the biases. There are a couple of problems with that um, widely practiced prescription. One is that many of the techniques, though uh, widely taught and widely endorsed by the intelligence agencies and, and others, have very little evidence of their effectiveness. A National Academy of Sciences study found that a few years ago, that there are uh, many techniques that are recommended to help counter cognitive biases, to help improve thinking. But the research basis under them is very thin. So that's one problem. A second problem, and I discovered this firsthand in the intelligence community in trying to get structured analytic methods taught and used, and uh, the, the bottom line is it's pretty easy to teach them. It's very hard to get analysts to use them. And if you think about it, being an intelligence analyst, it's easy to understand why that is. They're very busy. They have a traditional, a standard way of doing things. A lot of information is coming in. They have production uh, that they have to get out. And to stop and think about their thinking, right. to apply a structured technique that's somewhat unfamiliar, maybe not that appealing, is a big request to make of intelligence analysts. So getting it back to CREATE, one thing that we said at the very beginning when we announced the uh, request for proposals for the CREATE program at IARPA is that we want not just analytic tools that will improve thinking, but what might be even harder, a greater challenge, is analytic tools that intelligence analysts will willingly use.
0: Right. It doesn't do any good if you make some amazing tool that no one is going to adopt because it's too hard or too difficult or it's too different from what they're used to doing.
2: Right.
0: I'm wondering about groupthink. I mean, groupthink is one of these kind of biases that seems to be prevalent throughout the IC. I mean, talk about WMD. There's a good example of kind of everyone just kind of going along with it. How have earlier ways of doing analysis really emphasized the problem about consensus and about the ability to go against the consensus of the group. So that seemed to be a problem that that's almost unsolvable, or at least kind of, you know, on face value, it mm-hmm. seems to be an unsolvable problem.
2: Yeah, let me say something about that. So the term groupthink uh, was invented by, or coined by Irving Janus, uh, and it, it has a very specific and a broader application. So in the very specific meaning, groupthink is this tendency that small groups have to coalesce coalesce on a certain view and discourage dissent. But there's another sense in which uh, groupthink means uh, just a tendency, as you pointed out, uh, for people to uh, too narrowly uh, zero in on a particular point of view and be reinforced by their colleagues. The intelligence community um, uh, seeks in its traditional methods to combat uh, the latter form of groupthink By encouraging when it produces national intelligence estimates, NIEs as they're known, dissenting agencies to write a response outlining the reason they don't agree with the majority position. So there are ways that the intelligence community currently uses to try to counter groupthink. There are new ways, too, that have been introduced recently. One of them, if you don't mind, I'll say something about. The intelligence community prediction market. Uh, so some of, some of your listeners may be familiar with prediction markets generally because they've become fairly widespread uh, in the last decade or so. A prediction market basically is a way to bet on future events, future possible events. So if one of the questions on the market is, will these two countries go to war by the end of the year, two specific countries, and you think the answer is yes, you can drive the price up, you know, like the stock market value. And if you're right, you win points or money uh, on the outcome of the event. And then you get more to play with, to bet with later. A few years ago, the intelligence community introduced an internal prediction market for use by any of its um, analysts and, and other officers. It's widely used, uh, by the intelligence community. I should mention that there's no money involved, no, no cash payments. <laughs> We're not in violation of any ga- anti-gambling laws. You have
0: people out there going, the deep <laughs> state is betting on this. <laughs> uh,
2: and what I want to, I want to bring it back to your uh, question about groupthink, because um, prediction markets work on an interesting and somewhat counterintuitive principle known as the wisdom of crowds. And the idea is that if you take a lot of people's estimates, especially on a quantitative question, like when will something happen, and you average them, the average is often more accurate than just about any of the individual guesses or estimates. It's that finding is somewhat counterintuitive to us Americans because we tend to think of average as not very good. Right. Wisdom of Crowd says, no, average can actually be better. So the prediction market uses, makes use of the Wisdom of Crowd's principle, and in addition, getting it back to groupthink. The prediction market provides a strong incentive for any individual participant to bet against the crowd if she thinks that she has information to the contrary, so it incentivizes um, uh, dissenting opinion. how? Because if you know something that other people don't, just like in the stock market, if you have inside information so figuratively and you know some or you or you're making better use of information that other people have, you can draw the inferences correctly from it, then you can use that information, profit on the prediction market because you're more likely to get it right. It sounds an awful lot like when you talk about the average of
0: what Nate Silver and 538 and kind of that statistical analytical method for everything from sports to politics has been doing now for years. And I mean, I think Nate Silver himself in the 2008 election predicted like 98 percent of the seats available by using the averages of all the different polling data and everything else. Right. We didn't do so well in 2016, but then again, no one really did. Exactly. Except for the 2% of mm-hmm. people that predicted that the outlier that predicted the election going the way it was. Um, so it, how much for the, for the listener out there who may know kind of the sports advanced analytic world or the election
2: analytic worlds we do we're in Washington, D.C., a lot of people are paying attention mm-hmm. to that. How similar are these things? Uh, sorry, you mean the internal and the external prediction markets? Well, more about like how, how
0: people are doing predictions based on you know, whether one team is going to be in another team or, or one candidate is going to be another candidate. I mean it, The day of the 2016 presidential election, New York Times, with Nate Silver working with them, had Hillary Clinton winning by like 96% <laughs> chance yeah. she was going to win, and that was an aggregate right. of polling data, an average of polling data from around the country. Are these kind of things doing the same thing mm-hmm. as what you've been talking about?
2: Yeah. So we've actually collected data on the accuracy of the IC prediction market. And the, uh, the brief answer is that it's done pretty darn well. Not, not a great deal more accurate than traditional analytic forecasts, but in general, on average, and that we're talking here about averages, uh, somewhat more accurate than traditional analytic methods. So that is something that we're concerned with. And we're constantly collecting data on that, on its accuracy. So, so we're basically, intelligence analysis is pretty damn good now, but we want to make it better.
0: That's, yes, exactly. So let me ask you about an earlier program that kind of predates this, the CREATE program. And that's IARPA's aggregate, Aggregative con- Contingent Estimation. Why it got to be so hard? Ace. <laughs> Ace. Of the research cool. programs. We, we, we know a little bit about this, the Good Judgment Project mm-hmm. um, out of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, where, an ex- to me, an extraordinary... Outcome of comparing some of the best analysts in the world versus crowdsourced analysts. And they beat the pants off of the people who were considered kind of professional analysts.
2: Yeah, the, um, the ACE program, it is easier to say ACE yes. than the fully spelled out uh, version of the name, uh, was sponsored, as you say, by IARPA. Uh, and uh, what it was meant to do was to go beyond traditional uh, crowdsourced methods like prediction markets and do even better uh, than than those wisdom of crowds methods. And it did that in a number of ways. It developed some training uh, uh, courses, I mean, short courses. They just take a couple of hours. Uh, It uh, found that if you weight the judgments, giving more credit to people who've been accurate in the past, you can increase the overall aggregate accuracy. Uh, And the third thing that it did, which was a surprise to the researchers as well as to IARPA, was it found, um, as is um, illustrated by the name of the book that Philip Tetlock wrote on the basis of this, super forecasting, it found that some people have unusual skill at forecasting accurately. That is to say, they may not be subject matter experts, but rather they're very good at making accurate forecasts across a, a range of topics. So that was an interesting surprise that the ACE program yielded. Well, even, even more, you talk about some people. We're not
0: talking about seasoned CIA analysts. We're talking mm-hmm. about someone out in Montana or someone that's not an average yokel, but somebody with you know high levels of intelligence, right. but someone that does not have a job working for the intelligence community.
2: Right. Yeah. Now, uh, it's widely believed, uh, and I want to uh, correct this a little bit. It's widely believed that the uh, that the ACE program showed that ordinary people are more, can act sorry can forecast more accurately than intelligence analysts. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing this up. So good. Right. So <laughs> in a way that's true and in a way it isn't, what that simple statement overlooks is that the ordinary people in the ACE program had the benefit of some of the interve- interventions that ACE was developing, like I mentioned, the training the weighting, uh, uh, you know, the higher weighting uh, to certain forecasts uh, of people who have been accurate in the past. So it isn't exactly a level playing field right. between the two. Right. It's not
0: just some guy thinking about stuff like, why do we need analysts at CIA if Bob in Minnesota
2: can do this? There's right. a lot more to it than that. Yeah. And so, if I may say absolutely. one more thing about ACE, uh, currently, as a result of the uh, ACE program and, and the, uh, the insights that it yielded, uh, we're incorporating some of the findings into the IC prediction market. And that's really the goal of all this research that IARPA does. Uh, we develop things often in the unclassified world using volunteers if it involves, you know, human subjects. Uh, and we want to take the things that work, not everything does at IARPA, and incorporate them into IC, intelligence community practices. And we're doing that with AIDS. Well, So how is CREATE building upon what, what you've done in the past? Uh, In a way, create is different. (laughs) So create is new in a way. Uh, Let's see if I, I could state it this way, that create is trying to do for analytic reasoning what ACE and prediction markets did for forecasting. So what we're trying to do in create, and we're early in the program, we're only about a year and a half into a four and a half year long program. We're in phase one. What we're trying to do in create is get people to, sorry, uh, develop crowdsourced analytic methods that people can easily use to produce well-reasoned arguments, not simply forecasts like an ACE, where the output of ACE and the IC prediction market, for that matter, is simply a number. (laughs) No, this this is the percentage probability of that event. And create in a way it's more ambitious because create is trying to develop methods to help analysts produce the analytic product the report that comes out of their uh, thinking and all of their analysis. So it's really, it has a broader aim uh, than the ACE program. A lot of
0: people look at collection and analysis as kind of the two key parts of intelligence work, but unless you can convey what you've analyzed, the kind of the final product to a policymaker or to someone who's making decisions, then it doesn't matter how good your collection is, it doesn't matter how good your analysts are. So are you saying that, what Create is trying to do is make a finished product in a better way so that when policymakers get a hold of it, they can understand not only things like, you know, probability of, of this being true, like, you know, a high, high confidence versus medium confidence, but also kind of the communication, that step that communicates to a not very well-trained policymaker probably, like a member of Congress from somewhere that doesn't know the background, and try to get those points across. I mean, how much of that dissemination part of the intelligence cycle is create focused on.
2: Great, uh, it's actually both. I, actually, I would take issue if you don't mind with your <laughs> with your description. of. I agree that some consumers of intelligence aren't highly educated, but some are. And actually, uh, as you know, uh, one challenge that analysts face is that when they brief a policymaker, often the policymaker has uh, real expert knowledge of that situation. So to get back to your point about communication, it's for both audiences. The people who don't know very much about the issue uh, of whom there are a lot, and the people who are really expert in it. So in answer to your question, Create is trying to improve the communication of the reasoning, but that's, real, that's not its primary goal. That's important. But the primary goal of Create is to help analysts reason better, think more clearly, more accurately, gain more insight about the issue itself, so that then what, whatever product that they write will be informed by that good thinking.
0: Well, how does this concept of proud wisdom and kind of division of labor and, and allowing these different groups of analysts to contribute information, how does that lead to an individual thinking better?
2: Good. Uh, yeah, let me talk about that for a minute. Uh, so and I should say I should preface this by saying, uh, in, you know, uh, applying good scientific uh, method here that these are our hypotheses. We're not sure that this will work. And that's what IARPA does is to test things. So you asked, how could crowdsourcing help lead to better thinking, better reasoning? There are a couple of ways that seem uh, intuitively plausible. One is that, um, as we all know, it's very helpful to talk with somebody who takes a different point of view from ours. It doesn't and, happen too often anymore, <laughs> yeah, <but yes>. yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, that polarization, political polarization, uh, reduces the people's ability to, uh, you know, to engage in those conversations with with people who disagree. But it still happens sometimes. And we know from experience that you learn a lot, that I know that if I talked, say, going back to my graduate student days with my PhD advisor, and I asserted something in my draft, he would point out exactly where I was wrong. And that was the best information that I could get. Wrong meaning that my thinking wasn't that clear about it. So that's one way. Um, A second way that Crowds, that crowds larger than just interactions, say, with a couple of people might help, is that uh, the create tool, whatever comes out of create, uh, should enable the analysts, including analysts at different agencies, to divide the labor so that an analyst at NGA who has a particular insight might add something to the product that they're all jointly working on. An analyst at NSA uh, might counter that and might raise uh, another point on a related topic. Uh, finally, sorry. Go I was ahead. saying, so
0: it really looks like it's trying to break down the silos between these agencies. Hey, and, and that's interesting to me because the big criticism of the ODNI, I mean, there are several, but one of the big ones is that it hasn't broken down those silos as well as it was intended to do. Back when it was created, the the IRTPA or what two thousand four, right? The idea of this interagency cooperation at that level has not really been realized yet. This sounds like that's trying to shatter, at least on the analytical side the kind of individual silos of these agencies.
2: Yeah, I would put it a, in a, uh, a slightly more measured terms uh, because, uh, uh, because I, agree, I agree with the basic point that Create is trying to produce uh, methods that analysts across the 16 agencies can effectively use uh, to work together to produce a product. However, uh, it's, it's, no part of, it's not part of Create's aim to displace traditional ways of doing analysis. Again, the analogy is the IC prediction market, and it actually serves that function because analysts across the agencies make forecasts, they post comments, they disagree with one another. So it's a very nice, in a way, grassroots effort uh, to enable the mission of the ODNI, which is integrating the intelligence community. But uh, analysts still make forecasts in the traditional way, and the ICPM Certainly doesn't threaten that. Similarly, the methods that come out of Create, if they enable, as I hope they will, analysts to cooperate on producing an analytic product online, jointly, in a crowdsourced way, that should live side by side with the traditional way of doing analysis.
1: We'll be right back after this. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash Zero Trust AI.
0: Are you expecting or have you seen since it's been going on for a year, Are you expecting that not just kind of the final product of analysis is being challenged, but even like the underlying assumptions? Is this something where you might post something and let's use the model you said, NGA versus NSA, where the NSA guy might come with his own information, but also might go after their underlying assumptions and say, I think you've got too far on bad assumptions. Is that kind of allowing these interagency analysts to kind of challenge each other at a fundamental level?
2: Absolutely. That is exactly, yeah, one purpose that I hope, and I, I have to keep saying hope because nothing has right. been uh, tested coming out of create. We're about to do that. But that's one of the things that I hope comes out of it. Uh, I can give you an example, actually, right. going back to the uh, Iraq WMD case and the nuclear weapons. So um, at the time, and again, this all is in the WMD Commission report. Uh, at the time, uh, the uh, the intelligence community in 2002, realized that there were two hypotheses about uh, the aluminum tubes, if, if people remember that. One key piece of evidence in, uh, that the IC used to make its judgment that Iraq was reconstituting uh, its nuclear weapons program was these high-strength aluminum tubes that it was trying to procure. The intelligence community knew, th- knew this. There were two hypotheses. The IC recognizes. One was, what were the tubes for? They were for nuclear centrifuges. That was one. The other was they were for conventional rockets, nothing to do with the nuclear weapons program. The WMD Commission says that IC was absolutely wrong in its judgment about rockets because the intelligence community judged that these aluminum tubes that Iraq was trying to get were not suitable for conventional rockets. And of course, that led the IC to support its judgment that. They were for nuclear purposes. Here's here's something that um, you can imagine a a CREATE user doing with the tool that comes out of CREATE. They're looking at, the intelligence community is looking at that question. Are these aluminum tubes suitable for conventional rockets? Had that question been asked explicitly, then some analyst in one of the agencies might have said, wait a second, let's look at that have any other countries used this special high-strength aluminum for conventional rockets? And if they had asked that question, they would have found, according to the commission, that over a dozen other countries had already used those tubes for conventional rockets. So you can imagine the analyst who asked the key question, another analyst answers it, and ideally, that key piece of information challenging one of the assumptions would have reduced, greatly reduced the confidence that the intelligence community had that the tubes were not suitable right. for ro- uh, for rockets. This seems like a
0: much more dynamic process than just kind of collection coming to an analyst, the analyst figuring out what it means, and then sending it on. Are there timetable concerns mm. with this? This seems like it takes a lot longer. Now, you want to get it right, obviously, but right. This, seems to take, this might take a lot longer to put together a finished product if it's sent across the board. People are challenging assumptions out. Great. Getting it right is important. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I can think of analytical uh, processes that might take two hours where an analyst is told, here's the information. You have two hours to write this up and you got to go breach
2: somebody. Right?
0: doesn't seem that this might work for that process.
2: That's a great point because you're, you're absolutely right that intelligence analysts work under a variety of pressure. Sometimes the real pressure is the time constraint. And you're right to say that it really varies. So, you know, For an NIE, there may be a couple of months to produce it or more. For a short turnaround uh, product, absolutely has to go out the door. I should have, I'll mention now, and I probably uh, I could talk about this more, that in Create, uh, we have four different research teams producing very different analytic tools. Some of them take a fair amount of time for the analyst to use. Others, others can be used very quickly. So this is one of those variables that we want to keep in mind. I actually, I I think you're right that speed really matters to intelligence analysts. And what I imagine coming out of Create will be usable very quickly by different analysts. Because you can imagine doing this. You post the question, it immediately goes online for all the analysts in the community interested in that issue. Somebody can immediately, I mean, uh, post a, uh, a response that, with a link to a report saying, here's some information bearing on it. Somebody at another agency can say, wait a second, but you're assuming X and I have information against X. So if you think of create as yielding a structured online well-reasoned communication or conversation, then that is something that you can imagine proceeding very rapidly. Just,
0: just so the, the listener, most of them will know this, but we're not talking about something that you at home can Google. We're talking about a very specific online when you're talking about online, which is the internal communications within the IC, not broader. Exactly. What, what about when, I mean, classification is not going to matter all that much because you are talking about internal communication in the IC, but even there, there are times when all analysts are not the same when it comes to their access to information. With nuclear weapons, you're talking about needing a Q clearance, so the levels higher than others. Is that going to mitigate some of the benefits of of this system? To where the really hard questions, talk about Iraqi WMD, there were people that had to be particularly cleared at levels that they may not be able to get access into these kind of questions and these kind of programs.
2: Yeah, that good question. Um, In my experience in the intelligence community, uh, and I think this is another um, uh, benefit of uh, establishing the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the majority of analysts have access to uh, more or less the same information. Now, there is what's called compartmented information that only a small number of analysts uh, have access to. And I just have to agree with you that the CREATE tool is not going to solve that problem any more than uh, any other tool. So you're right that the conversation that I was describing and imagining occurring in the structured create method will not be able to exceed certain uh, classification levels, but a large number of Intel analysts have access to the same amount of material.
0: Let me ask you an inside baseball question. Let's say create finishes the multi-year program and you found some really great ways to change the way analysis analysts do analysis, how likely is it that these will be adopted? Like, hmm. what, what is the mandate here? Is this if you come back with clear and concise evidence that there's a better way of doing it? I mean, think of bureaucracy in Washington and everything else, and not just that, the bureaucracy of these intelligence agencies that have been around for decades mm-hmm. and doing it the same way for decades. How quickly does this behemoth move, <laughs> and how likely is it that if there are, are if very good results from this that we'll actually see some changes? Uh, I, that may be an unfair question. No, I'm no, sorry. It's, it's
2: an excellent question because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I, you know, I, I came to the intelligence, intelligence community not with the idea of uh, managing scientific research, but with the goal of improving actual practices. And that's true of, uh, of IR, but generally, we're not just interested in research for its own sake. We want to see the practices get adopted and get used. So, it's an excellent question, and it really matters. I think that the IC prediction market that I was describing earlier serves as a model uh, for how create tools might get used. It's not the only model, uh, but it's a, I guess you might call it a, a sort of democratic process as opposed to top down. It's a bottom up method where we made the IC prediction market software available. Any analyst anywhere can use it, and they do because they find it interesting and engaging and they follow it. Something similar might happen with Create. And I actually think that that's more likely than, as you said, um, there being a mandate by an agency or across all agencies to demand that Intel analysts use the method. Moreover, um, forcing somebody to use a tool that they're disinclined to use may have unintended adverse consequences, like they may not use it in in the proper way. They may just make a show of it. Not because Intel analysts are more likely to do that than anybody else. But because they're professionals and they don't want, uh, they'll resist attempts to, uh, in a heavy-handed way, control their behavior. So again, back to your point, I think I think it's not very likely that there will be a decree, <laughs> sent, even if the evidence on create tools is excellent that they really work. I don't think that the intel community or any particular agency is will mandate the use of the tools. What I hope will happen is that. A small number of intelligence analysts will try them out, find them useful, word will spread, and use will grow. Let me, let me ask a question. Your, your sister agency, I guess for lack of a better term, DARPA, mm-hmm. has been
0: around a lot longer than you have. But there's been a lot of trickle-down DARPA projects into the civilian world, You know, talking about everything from the Internet to GPS and, and all the materials engineering and everything else. This sounds like something that would be very useful within the civilian world. I mean, even going back to your prior career about teaching logic in philosophy classes, these kind of ideas in a broader sense of kind of crowdsourcing arguments and analysis seems like something that should be taught in critical thinking classes from high school on up. Do you hope or do you think that possibly some of these programs down the road might begin to change the way we teach critical thinking, Mm -hmm. change the way we teach logic, the way we teach rhetoric and debate and argument moving forward?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, uh, and there's a narrow version and a wider version. I don't think, actually, I don't think that create will do much to change the training of critical thinking or reasoning. But it, what I do hope is that it will change the practice, uh, because I, as you mentioned when you were um, going over my uh, bio, uh, I was involved in uh, developing Analysis 101, you know, a critical thinking and other things uh, training course for intelligence analysts, and. Uh, create, however, is different because we're not so much trying to teach people to think better as give them tools that are easy to use, that, analytic tools that enable them as a, as a group, a crowd, to think uh, more accurately and more clearly. So in response to your question, I think it would be wonderful, and I know that IARPA uh, uh, generally supports its technologies finding wider use. It would be wonderful if the legal profession or medicine, or science, or public policy had access to and used effective tools, analytic tools that come out of create.
0: So you talked about you're in the middle of phase one now, and you have been for a little while. So can you talk us through the process behind this program? It doesn't have to be kind of uber inside baseball and nuts and bolts, Mm -hmm. but what are the phases? What are we trying to do? When is this going to wrap itself up? And how does the public out there, if they're listening, follow along with this this process. This is just, this is something you can find on the IARPA website. This is not highly classified. Right. This is something that can be followed by the average person out there.
2: Yeah, happy to talk about that. Uh, so uh, first, uh, where we are in the process, we're uh, coming towards the end of phase one. And we have four, uh, just to give you some of the IARPA jargon here, in case I fall into it uh, unexpectedly, we have and DARPA uses this as well. Performer teams are the research teams that actually conduct the research and develop the tools. And then we have what's called a test and evaluation team, T and E, that uh, that independently assesses their effectiveness, the effectiveness of the tools. So we have four performer teams at uh, in Create. They actually are all universities, uh, though IARPA often sponsors research by companies as well. I'll name them. Uh, they're Uh, One of them is local, George Mason University. The second is Syracuse University. And two are actually based in Australia, Hmm. University of Melbourne and Monash University. Each one, as I mentioned, of these researcher performer teams is pursuing its own approach, developing an analytic tool that we're about to start testing. So we're in the process now of recruiting people from the public. All you need is fluent. You need to be able to speak English fluently be at least 18 years of age and have at least some college and be willing to put into the time to test the tools. So we're going to give people and create phase one fictional problems where we kind of control all the information that's out there. They use one or more of these analytic tools to try to solve the problem. The test and evaluation team will evaluate the quality of reasoning, the quality of argumentation in the product, the report, that the people write using the tools. And the, if the performer team that developed that tool gets people using it to write well-reasoned arguments to reason effectively, then they get credit for that. So that's the basic idea. And it's, as I said, the first of three phases. Um, at the end of this phase, we, w- we may renew some of the contracts with one or more teams that did ex- uh, you know unusually well. Uh, in the first phase, and it goes for a total of four and a half years. Oh, you asked as well, uh, Vince, about how people can find out about it. IARPA really is a scientific organization, and and we believe in sharing our scientific findings widely. So if you go to the IARPA website, you can find for any program, like CREATE, scientific publications, links to them that have come out of it. So that's a good way to find out at a scientific level uh, what's been happening. So for a lot of the interviews
0: you may have done in the past, you're probably speaking to a lay audience, and you want to recruit all those lay audience people. So kind of, that's your perfect test case. Yep. For our audience, we may have somebody out there who's in the Director of Operations at CIA. Mm-hmm. Are they precluded from being involved in this because they have an intelligence background? I mean, is that someone that would be not able
2: to sign up to work in this program? No, they are not precluded. And in fact, I know some. I know that some people with intelligence backgrounds... Have signed up to participate in create now it goes without saying that if someone if someone works in uh, operations or something like that they should think hard about whether they want to be associated on the internet right. with the intelligence community but they know that as well as I do yeah. uh, but no we're we're very interested in uh, testing the analytic tools that come out of create uh, on a wide range of people and I think it'll be fascinating to see whether people with Intel backgrounds including uh, we're actually recruiting uh, people who are studying intelligence studies at various universities within the U.S. And, and elsewhere to see whether people with an intelligence orientation react to the tools differently from the, from the general public. So other than, I mean,
0: going to the website, the IRP website, is there a specific way? Will they figure it out once they get there about how to sign up for this? Or is there a particular URL or something that you can give them? Thank so you for asking. We're, I'll <laughs> let you know that when we do the blurb for this, when this posts, we'll actually have this URL in the, the written part of this. But for people that are driving or anything else and they want to hear it, can you, can you lay it out for us?
2: Yep. The URL uh, to find out about the uh, program and how to test some of these analytic tools is join.createbetterreasoning.com. That's join.createbetterreasoning, all one word, dot com.
0: Let me, let me go broader than that, I, that people will, will have that to where you can hear it because people might be thinking, all right, this sounds cool, but I don't have a lot of time right now. But there are all sorts of, and you can kind of give a writ large advertisement for your other program managers out there. But there are programs like this all the time, not necessarily crowdsource stuff, mm-hmm. but things that IARPA is doing that may involve the public. So even if someone doesn't think they have the time, like they're writing a dissertation, they may not have the time to do this right now. There will be opportunities in the future. Maybe you'll be the PM for it, maybe somebody else, where people can get involved in what IARPA is doing.
2: Absolutely. And um, our um, public affairs office is very good in uh, disseminating information about upcoming and ongoing IARPA projects where people can get involved. You're right. So I hadn't really thought about it that way. But from the point of view of uh, a listener who's not part of the intelligence community and not a scientist... There are two things that you might be interested in. That uh one is just what is IARPA doing? What's it coming up with? What's what is it learning? And the second is how can I get involved? And so, yeah, if you go to our website, you'll see uh, ways beyond create uh that people can volunteer for.
0: Dr. Stephen Reber has been with us. He's a program manager at IARPA in the office of the director of national intelligence. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. In all honesty, guys out there. Check out this create program. It may not be for you, but I think for a lot of you, this is going to be a nice, interesting way that you can get involved uh, in helping the intelligence community and and kind of learning a little bit about yourself, really, when it comes down to it. Uh, So please check out the website. I'll have it posted um, online and and everything else so uh, you can see what you can possibly do to get involved. So thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Vince. It's been a pleasure.